Well, praise the Lord. God bless you. Welcome tonight to another Bible study. I'm excited that you have joined us here at Shiloh. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to share in this rich word. Have your way. Speak to us today. Speak in this house, Lord, afresh. And grant that we hear you in the magnificent and mighty and powerful name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. This is a wonderful time to talk tonight. Let's get into this lesson and dig around and see what God will give us. I've been dealing with this theme, Nourishment for the Soul. This is part seven. And I'm looking at Psalm 7. So let's look into that for a while. Psalm 7 is an interesting psalm because this psalm is where, uh, as the, the, the heading of the psalm describes, the psalmist is sort of defending himself against the wickedness that has come to him. And the psalm was to be played um, sort of in an irregular way. And in the uh, Amplified Version, it suggests that it was to be wild irregular and enthusiastic and it was to be sung in that way and it was concerning the words of Cush a Benjamite now that's interesting as we began because we do recognize that in 1 Samuel 9 and 1 um, uh, Saul is described as a Benjamite and as a Cushite or, or, Benj or Saul Cush or Cush Saul. So we do know that that reference could be a reference to Saul. But we also know that the Cushites were the descendants of Noah, or I should say sons of Noah, and as in the sons of Ham. And those Cushites were there in scripture as well, which would have referred to them being from an East African origin or from the Horn of Africa and Sudan. So we have this kind of interesting figure here, which could either be some African who has been speaking uh, roughly against the, the works of David, or it could be Saul, who is also known by this word, Cush, or the other spelling could be K-I-S-H, Kish. This is interesting in that I think that we are more attend to think about this text as being something related to Saul and more importantly related to Saul's pursuit of David to kill him. Saul would have been one who had wanted to take David out. He wanted to kill David. His heart, his mind, his soul was set on David's destruction. And as we'll look at tonight, David has opportunity to take Saul out, but doesn't do it. And it is important that one understands this as a key interest point tonight because it reeks to what is in the mind of the writer, if this is David writing this prayer lament, because he knows what he's done. He knows how he has acted. He knows how he has participated or what he has not done against Saul. And so in his mind have to be some things. Now I want to offer to you what I think are the things that are foundational in his mind. Because David, in my mind, David's prayer relies on four foundational truths. Innocence, integrity, injustice, and ultimately intolerance of God toward evil. Innocence, integrity, injustice, and ultimately intolerance of God towards evil. So that for David, he believes that because he is innocent, he can make certain claims on God. 
Because he is innocent, he can speak to God in a particular way. David believes that because what is happening to him is unjust, he can go to God and inquire of God as to why he's not benefiting from his relationship with divinity. David believes in his heart of hearts that God will not tolerate evil. That injustice is going to come up before the face of God and God is not going to tolerate. There is an intolerance in God against that which is wrong. And I do want to suggest to each of you listening now is that when these factors are in play in your own life, when you know you've done nothing wrong, when you know you've walked in your integrity, when you know what's happening to you is an injustice, you have to know that God is on your side. Or in the words of James Cone, the wonderful black theologian and scholar, that God is on the side of the oppressed. That God is on the side of the oppressed. And here in this text is that rock solid belief that God is on the side of the oppressed. That when you've been wronged, God's on your side. When people have mistreated you, God is on your side. When you've done nothing to cause them to be so mean, God is on your side. And, 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 and let me just put it another way, to put it another way, not only is God on the side of the oppressed, but, but to put it another way, you should take solace, in this case, in your righteousness. Meaning that when you know you are right, when you know that you are righteous, you should sit back and say, okay, y'all messing with the wrong one today. Not today, Satan. The God I serve ain't going to let you get away with that one. Now you could, hey, you might have got me another day, but not today, not there, not now, not now. I'm doing right. I'm living for the Lord. I'm tithing, I'm giving, I'm consecrating, I'm being all I can be for God. Not today, Satan. I, I ain't even worried about it. Say what you want to say. Talk about me. Say it. Do anything you want to do. Because I know this one right here, me, I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm living the way God told me to live. And so from, 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 this, from this psalm, I want to pick up seven lessons out of this. Now remember those are foundational truths, and if they're foundational, you're going to see them when I give these seven lessons. Seven lessons that sort of undergird his foundational truths that come up. And you got to read them. They're on the line, in between the lines. So that's why I put them up front there, those foundational truths. So when you read them now, they'll come out, they'll pop out at you. The, the law of association, now that you have, have something to associate it with, while I'm reading it now, you'll see what you didn't see or could not have seen before I've given you something to associate it with. Now all of a sudden the law of association kicks in and you will see that which was invisible to you when you first read the text. So let me work with these seven lessons here. Here, here, here verse one. David has a very simple prayer or simple opening. Oh Lord my God, in you, I take refuge. Save me and rescue me from all those who pursue me. Save me and rescue me from everybody. Anybody coming at me, save me, Lord. Rescue me, Lord. And, and so the first lesson David helps us with, number one, is that rescue is in the sovereign. Rescue 
is in the sovereign. That, 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 that ought to jump out at you now. See, if you think that somebody else is going to save you, no, God's going to save you. God's going to take care of you. He may use people. He may use other persons. He may use law enforcement. He may use a lawyer, a doctor. He may use someone else. But the rescue, and for us, is in God, is in our sovereign Lord. And because we put our trust in him, we trust him no matter what's happening. That's the refuge we take. That's the place of peace we go to, is in the knowledge that God is on our side is in the knowledge that God is going to be the one to rescue me. You know, when, when, when Peter attempts to walk on the water, after he's walking a little bit and he looks away and he begins to sink, he doesn't look back to the boat and say, somebody on the boat, help me. Swim out and get me. Throw me a lifeline. Throw, throw, me, throw me one of those buoys over here. Anybody got a life jacket? No, he looks to Jesus. Save me. Why? Because rescue is always in the sovereign. That's who's going to rescue. That's who's going to get you out of the mess that some other folks tried to put you in. That's it. God's going to do it. And let me tell you something. This, this is another truth that might jump in your spirit and make you want to speak in tongues, run around the house. If God doesn't do it, nobody else can. If God doesn't fix it, nobody else can. And I know somebody listening to me right now is in a God, if a God don't do it situation right now. You're in that situation now where you're wondering, God, I don't know where to turn. And, God, and I have to tell you now, don't worry about where to turn. Worry about trusting God. Worry about trusting God. Because God's going to do it. God, God has done it before. And if he did it before, he'll do it what? Again. He'll do it again. He's done it in times past. He'll do it again. Rescue is in God. Lord, you are my help. You are my strength. You are, as one, one writer said, you are very present help in the time of trouble. Not, not, a, not a tomorrow help. You are very present. You are right now help. You are, you are in position near me help. Present to me, near to me help in the time of trouble. And my rescue is in the sovereign. And then number two, and if you look down at verse two, he says, so that my enemy will not tear me like a lion, dragging me away while there's no one to rescue me. So that my enemy, I got, you know, sometimes you have to read that real close. Let me, let me, um, let me read the message Bible on verse one and two. God, God, I am running for you, to you for dear life. The chase is wild. If they catch me, I'm finished. Ripped to shreds by foes fierce as lions, dragged into the forest and left unlooked for, unremembered. I think they, they did a pretty good job trying to describe that feeling. He says, God, I need you to get me because what they have planned for me is gonna be terrible. And so the second lesson he gives us and this ought to give you some, some solace if you're going through something right now. That rogue strategies are real. Rogue strategies are real. Now I like that because you gotta know that people when they come after you that stuff real. When folk take a notion to hate you for no cause, it's real. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. 
you know, uh, you know, a, a woman walking down the street by herself with somebody following her that she doesn't know. That's not imaginary. And for you to be unnerved by it, no, no, this, this stuff real. This world we're living in now is cray cray. And so you've got to realize that, that, that you're not always crazy or out of your mind or, or, or going off the, the deep end because you realize that somebody might have it out for you. Now, I don't want you to be super crazy and running around scared of everything, but you need to know that there are some people who will plot on you. Some people will build a trap for you. Their minds are traps. Matter of fact, these young people are so silly, they go to these places, they call them trap houses. Now, I don't know exactly what a trap house is. I've never been to one, never actually seen one in person. I've just heard these young people talk about them, and I just want to tell you that anything called a trap, you ought to be scared to go in it. You've got to recognize that there be folk plotting on you. I, uh, I, I caught an episode of uh, uh, The Closer. The Closer is a show with little skinny, uh, slim, white, uh, wonderful police captain or whatever her role may be now. And uh, she's, she's uh, really brilliant in the show, figuring out crimes and getting people to make confessions. And there was a point there where they were trying to figure out how there were all the information from their cases were getting out. And in the show, in the show, there's this point where they finally figure out that one of the men on their team had been given bedroom conversation to a woman that he thought he was gonna marry. Unbeknownst to him, the lawyer for someone else had paid off this girl's law school student loans and had sent her to his church, to his church to meet him. And she wiggled her way into his life and played the long game and was feeding the lawyer information about what was going on in the department. Y'all, see, you think that that don't happen. You think folk don't just show up that's been sent. Let me tell you something, lady. You better hear me. There have been men sent to you. Brother, women sent to you. The enemy's real. He'll send somebody to you to make you fall. Every lion doesn't have a mane that's looking wild. Some of the manes are well cropped. Sister, every lion is not roaring loud. Some of them brothers are talking quiet and smooth. But don't fool yourself that everyone looking in your direction has love on their mind. Somebody ought to hear me now. Listen, listen. 1 Samuel 21 says, and this is the text about Jonathan's wonderful loyalty towards David. Verse Samuel 20, verse 1 says, Then David fled from Naroth to Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father? That he seeks my life. trying to kill me. Why? 1 Samuel 23 verse 23. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you and it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. What's going on? 1 Samuel 26, verse 19. Now therefore, please let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord. To go saying, go serve other gods. Let me tell you something. When people put in their mind to come against you, they will go to no ends. There's nowhere to make them stop other than God intervening. And I got good news for you. 
can and God will put what they do back on their heads. You, you, ought, to, you ought to realize this. I'm going to say it now, but I'll say it again in the end. Sometimes God will make a boomerang. I'll come back. I'll actually read that word later on. Sometimes God will make a boomer what they're sending out for you. The curse they try to put on you. God will let it fall on their own stupid head. Okay. Number, number three. Number three. Starts in verse three. Oh Lord, my God, if I have done this if there is injustice in my hands, if I've done evil to him who is at peace with me or without cause robbed him who was my enemy, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me and let them trample my life to the ground and lay my honor in the dust. In other words, he's, he's feeling so good about himself. He says, if I did it and I'm wrong, I deserve whatever I get. I deserve whatever I get. If I've done this, what they're saying I did, hey, I deserve whatever I get. I ain't even fighting it. You just, God don't even interfere. I'm just going to stand. But, but I know I didn't do it. I know I'm not wrong. So God I'm coming to you. And so number three, number three here is righteous speech. Righteous speech. God, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. <clears throat> I got something to say. I've got, I've, got, I've got righteous indignation over what they're saying about me. And I'm just going to put it flat out. I know I'm not wrong. So don't let them get me. I, I want to I say this to you. This is some old talk. This is like, you, you say, what? You, you talking to God like this? Well, right now I think I can. I think I'm all right saying what I'm saying here today <clears throat> because I know I'm not wrong. And, and let, me, let me drop this dime on you. This is going to hit you like real good right here. See, the Bible says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. There that we may attain mercy. We can come boldly when we're righteous. We can come boldly when we've been doing what we should do. Now, other times we have to come sheepishly. Say, God, I was wrong. Forgive me and help me get out of this mess. But when we write, oh, we can talk junk. Let me put it like this. When you can stand before God assured of your sanctification in a matter, boldness is justified. Ooh, teach wise. Teach wise. When you can come before God assured of your sanctification in a matter. Boldness is justified. He could afford to be bold. Didn't do nothing wrong. And get me on this one. I, I got a reason to speak to you. Matter of fact, my righteousness is real clear. I don't have time to read the whole story. But 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 17 is the depiction of, of David um, being in a cave. And he has a chance to take Saul out. Now, now, while he's in the cave, Saul comes in. And David could get him, but he doesn't. Real, real quick, I'm, I'm going to do this quick, fast, and in a hurry. One through seven, but then you have to read the rest on your own. Now, it happened when Saul, this is 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 17, I'm reading in the New King James Version. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engadai. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road 
where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend his needs. Okay. David and his men were staying in the, in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointing of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went his way. Now, now you, you know, here it is. I could have took you out. When you read further, David actually comes out and has a conversation with Saul and said, I could have took you out. I could have got you. I could have done right. I could have, I could have ended all of my misery by taking you out. Look, look, look at verse 12. Let the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. He said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to touch you, but I'm going to let God, who I'm trying to preach to somebody right here tonight, I'm going to let God deal with you. I'm not going to get, I'm not touch your God's anointed. I recognize who you are. You hold the office if you don't love, have the power. I'm going to put you in the place that God has put you in. But right now, I need you to know, in my flesh, my flesh could have handled this business. In my flesh, I could have took you out. In my flesh, I'm talking to somebody right now. Because see, you think that you ought to handle every problem in your flesh. You think that anybody get on your nerves, you ought to cuss them out. Anybody get on your nerves, you ought to knock them in their teeth. Anybody gets to you, you ought to take the, slap the taste out of your mouth. But you don't have to go far to see examples of people that take matters into their own hands and end up on the worst end of the joke. You've got to tell yourself, I can't handle this in my flesh. I can't handle this like I'm a G in the street no more. I can't handle this like I'm a thug. I can't handle this situation like I'm not still in the street like I used to be. I'm not the old one I used to be. If the person I was a long time ago, if I was the woman I used to be, I'd go to pulling your hair out right now. Let me take my gazelles off, as Jill Scott said. Let me put some Vaseline on my face and it's on and popping. But because I am who I am and I recognize the authority of heaven over earth and God's word over my life, I'm going to act towards you like God wants me to act. And I'm going to say, let God judge between me and you. Woo! I'm teaching tonight, y'all. A good googly muggly. Let God judge him. I ain't going to get you. you. You ought to be God. And in my younger days, there would be no more talk. No, no, no. In my younger days, and I don't mean chronological, I mean in your days of immaturity, you would have said, it's time to lay hands. I know the Bible says lay hands on no man suddenly, but I've waited, Lord. It's time to lay hands. And I'm about to lay my anointing on you. But now, in your maturity, you bring them before God. Say, Lord, you judge him. Your judgment is right. And I'll go along with your judgment. Let me, let me, ooh, I'm teaching tonight. Go, go on down to verse 6. Verse 6, verse 6. He comes back to God. Now, he just laid out, God. I'm leaving it to you. I think I'm righteous. I'm leaving it to you. But God, I'm going to need you to do something. I'm going to need you to step in here. I'm going to need you to move on my behalf. I'm going to watch and pray and wait, but I need you to do something for me. Verse 6, he says, rise, O Lord, 
in your anger. In other words, I don't want you to rise up being nice. I want you to rise up being mad. Lift up yourself against the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me. You have commanded judgment and vindication. I don't want you just to judge them, but I want my name cleared. I want you to vindicate me. It's not enough for you just to judge them and then go, they go walk off and never have to see it again. I want my name cleared. So number four, number four, number four is rise up savior. This is the lesson that you can ask God to rise up savior. And that's simply to say, act on my behalf. Act on my behalf. Do what I can't do. Be where I am not. Fix what is seemingly not fixable. Work out what I cannot work out. Rise up, Savior. Rise up. I need you to rise up. Psalm 35, 23, he says it this way. Stir up yourself. Awake to my vindication. To my cause, my God, and my Lord. Psalm 44, 23 says, awake. It almost asks God, why are you asleep? Oh Lord, arise, do not cast us off forever. In other words, God, don't, don't, don't shut your eyes to this. Verse seven, he says, God, I want my vindication to be done. Let the assembly of the nations be gathered around you and return on high over them. And this is Psalm 7, verse 7. He says, God, my vindication will come when you get involved. And I'm asking you to rise up, Savior. But I'm also asking you to not only vindicate me in private, but vindicate me in public. Since they outed me in public, I don't want a private vindication. I want a public vindication. God, show up and show out. Hey! That's what he says. Show up and show out. Verse 8, 9, 10. Let's read them. The Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord, and grant me justice according to my righteousness and according to the integrity within me. Verse 9. O let the wicked of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous, those in right standing with you. For the righteous God tries the hearts of, and minds. My shield and my defense depend on God who saves the upright in heart. Get this, y'all. This, this is a good one here. This is a lesson here. This is lesson number five. He makes a request for summary judgment. Request for summary judgment. I don't want no trial. I don't want no jury. I don't want no lawyers. I want you to judge. Because you know not only what people are saying, but you know what's really in their hearts. Because folk will talk a good game, but their heart will be wicked. God, I request now for summary judgment. In this mess right here, it, I don't want a long trial. I don't want it drawn out. I want it finished now. I want this over with. Because I'm innocent. Yeah, now, it's important that you see this. That David doesn't think of himself 
as pure or as perfect. But as to this matter, he's innocent. Let me do it this way. He says, innocent. I'm not perfect, but on this one, I'm good. I'm not perfect, but on this one right here, I'm good. Now, now that's important that you see this because many times we fail to recognize that we live in a manner in which we don't recognize that sometimes we're not all that we ought to be. But there are some areas we're right in. And, and we have to just go ahead and say, God, I'm this one. Let me put it another way. Help me out, Jay-Z. Jay-Z put it this way. I got 99 problems, but this ain't one. I changed the last part. I got 99 problems, but this ain't one. I didn't do anything to him. I didn't do anything to him. Nothing. Now I'm going to teach you a principle tonight that's going to mess with your head. You got to think about it for a while. Because believers don't want to believe this, but we live this way all the time. We live in what I'm going to call right now a bifurcation of faith. A bifurcation of faith. By that, I mean a split. That we recognize whether consciously or unconsciously, that we are not always our best selves. And so sometimes we will act as though we are our best selves when we really are not. And sometimes we will forget that we have done things that are not pleasing to God, that although we may be right about this one, we still have been wrong about several other ones. And so we have to learn not to get this holier than thou mentality. Because we have a righteousness in one area, we began to act as though that means that every area is covered by the single area of righteousness. We have a sanctification in one area. So every area is covered by the sanct that sanctification. No, not so. The reality that we live in is that when it's our life and our situation personal to us, our righteousness is seen more highly in our eyes than it may actually be. When it's someone else, their sin is seen more highly in our eyes than it may actually be. In other words, we will tolerate our mistakes, our foibles, our sins more than we will allow for others to have those same foibles, mistakes, and sins. And it makes the world believe the church to be hypocritical. I'm going deep now. David has some good qualities. And later on we will find out that his bad qualities, though, not, though he is not punished in normal punishment, meaning nothing bad happened to him in the moment. But his sin mistakes end up costing him some of the things he really wants, like building the temple. Point being this, on this one, he's righteous. And he can boldly speak to God. But don't fool yourself. That doesn't make you always righteous. 
And if, if, if all of us would learn to take it down a notch about how good you really think you are, because at best, some of the people you clowning about their mistakes, those mistakes are no bigger than the ones you make privately. Just because nobody else sees them and nobody else knows doesn't mean God doesn't see. <sighs> Reverend, why are you preaching so hard? Because it's gooder and gooder. Look here. I need to realize that my integrity with God gives me place and standing. I'm going to hold that to the end and try to live my life for God. Job in the midst of his crisis, Job 27, 5 and 6 says, Far be it from me that I should say you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. There is a way that you are to live your integrity to the best of your ability every day, recognizing you are flawed and you are covered by the blood of Jesus, New Testament Christians and believers, and it is his blood that gives you a greater standing before God. Know also that God knows your heart, both good and bad. Psalm 26, 2, the psalmist says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. God, I know you know my heart. You know where I am. Jeremiah 11 and 20 says, but O Lord of hosts, who you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For you, I have revealed my cause. For to you, I've revealed my cause. God, I put myself before you. My heart is pure. All right, come on back. I got two to go and just a short time to get there. Number six is this. Look at verse 11 through 16. God is a righteous judge and a God who is indignant every day. If a man does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He has stung and bent his mighty bow and made it ready. He has also prepared other deadly weapons for himself. He makes his arrows fiery shafts aimed at the unrepentant. Behold, the wicked and irreverent man is pregnant with sin, and he conceives mischief and gives birth to lies. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the very pit which he made as a trap. His mischief will return on his own head and his violence will come on, on, on top, down on top of his head like the dirt. See, here, here is number six. There is always going to be recompense for sinfulness. There is a divine intolerance. God don't like ugly. You ought, you ought to just say that to yourself. God don't like ugly. Okay. I want to, let me, before I get to this recompense for sin and, and say a few words about it, I want to read that section from the Message Bible. I just love the way he throws that in there. He says, Nobody gets by with anything. God is already in action. Sword is honed on this wet stone. Honed sword means that he has sharpened it on a wet stone. He, the wet stone allows the, the blade to run across it. And so as he runs it across, the stone gets sharper and the, the blade gets sharper and sharper. That's what he's referring to. The bow strung arrow on the string. Now, generally what you do, not to allow your bow and arrow to get uh, the bow to just get stuck, you then sometimes you unsling it, meaning you take the bow part off 
So you lift that down and you leave the arrow there. And now he's saying that God has taken the string and put it up on the arrow so it's tight. It's ready to go into use. Each arrow is flaming missile. God getting ready to do some destruction. Look at that guy. Now, this is a good one here. He had sex with sin. I'm reading the Bible. He's pregnant with evil. Oh, look, he's having the baby, a live baby. Pow! See that man shoveling day after day, digging, then concealing his, his man trap down that lonely stretch of road. Go back, look again. You'll see him in it, head first, legs waving in the breeze. That's what happens. Mischief backfires, violence boomerangs. Patayo! Okay, I gotta get out of here. Woo! You gotta know if you keep doing dirt and wrong, sooner or later the trap you set for someone else. You dig a ditch for me, it may be for you. You got to recognize it's going to come back at you. God's going, ooh. He said, you have conceived trouble. You, you, you birthed trouble. Ah. Job 15, 35 used the same language. He says this, they conceive trouble and bring forth futility. Their wound prepares deceit. He finally closes out his prayer by this. Verse 17, he says, I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness and justice. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. In other words, I will praise Yahweh Elion, the God who is supreme. I will praise the one who judges the earth. I will praise the most high God. I will praise Jaman. Number seven is righteous judgment. I believe, number seven, the righteous justice of God, righteous justice of God will prevail in the end that God is going to do right by me. That no matter what anybody thinks, no matter what anybody does, God's going to do right by me. Justice of God is going to prevail. Woo! My God. This is the word of God for the people of God. I want to just say it for you. Thanks be to God. This is nourishment for the soul. I bless God for you. I hope you got something from it tonight. I know I had a good time giving it. God bless you. Thank God for you joining us here tonight at Shiloh. Let me just say, if you've been listening to us and you know this is the kind of church you want to be a part of, I don't care where you live, anywhere in America or across the world, you can join us. You can direct message us tonight. You can direct message us or you can call us 860-443-6046, extension 110. Or send us an email, churchadmin at shilohnlcomplex.org. Say, I want to be a participant in that church. I want to be a partner with them. Well, saints, God has been good to us. I want to offer you an opportunity tonight to give. You ought to give us unto the Lord because God has blessed us. Thank you, Sister Lord. I've been trying to bring the fire tonight. God has blessed us. You can give tonight. It's a Shiloh Baptist Church in New London, Connecticut. Go out by Givelify. You can give by Cash App, Dollar Sign, Shiloh NL, or you can mail it in. As you know, anything when we don't have a speaker here on these Tuesday nights, we give it away. So give, and we will be a blessing back into the community. God bless you, each one and all. I want to tell you, I want to just thank God for the Winston family tonight. We have been praying for Brother Winston. He's gone through great sorrow. But this week, God has given him great joy in that he and his lovely wife have just brought uh, into the world their new baby girl. So congratulations to the Winstons on the birth of their new baby girl. Congratulations. Mazel tov, blessings upon you. May God bless you and your household, Winston family. This is a miracle and a blessing from God. Oh, wow, what God has done. 
two wonderful and recent close together, wonderful healthy births and only God we give the glory for. We never forget to thank God for the gift of life. And so we're still praying for you all and we pray that God's blessings and richness and love and mercy be upon your household. I want pictures of the babies, or both the babies born recently, if, whenever y'all are ready to share them with the congregation. I'd love to post them up on the, book, on the board and let the people of God see, because we all family. We all, they, that, these children got a whole bunch of new aunts, uncles, aunties, and grandmamas in here that we all love them already. Because they belong to you, they belong to us. And as the old saints, you say, we put them on the cradle roll, amen? Amen. The cradle roll. That's right. That's right. From the cradle on, they belong to us. We love you and we love them. God bless each one of you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Join us tomorrow for community prayer at 1 p.m. I will be online 1 p.m. community prayer. Get online. We'll be talking to the Lord. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you Sunday. Don't forget, Sunday is... Palm Sunday, which means we're getting close to the end of the consecration. Oh, I pray your consecration has been well. Stay on it. Keep doing it. I don't know about you, but I feel better this week uh, than I have in, in long time. I think God has blessed me through the consecration, has blessed my body, and I thank God for it. Through everything, I'm just trusting and praising God. I love each one of you. You will see you on Sunday. We'll see you on the prayer tomorrow. See you on Sunday. God bless. Oh, it's baby Nia. I, I think that's the name Joanne put in there. Thank you, Nikki S. Amen. Congratulations on your bundle of joy again, Winston family. God bless each one of you. This has been a great night. I pray God keeps on blessing you over and over and over and over and over and over again. You stay in the faith. Keep living for the Lord. And you know what we say. Shalom.